Oh, hey, didn't see you there. Don't mind me, just typing on my quirky typewriter keyboard. For anyone who doesn't know, this is a keyboard that was inspired by a typewriter. So it has actual keys, a return key, and a spot to put your iPad to type on. It's been so fun to play with, and we have one quirky keyboard to give away in our giveaway this week. If you go to mission.org giveaway, you can enter for a chance to win, or you can just listen to me type. We also have a second product to give away this week in our giveaway. It's the Muse 2 Brain Sensing Headband. I really like their catchphrase, sitting down is just the beginning. What's really cool about this headband is if anyone has ever tried to meditate before and you're like, man, I'm just anxious about this. I can't stop thinking about the day. So many things going through my mind. Calm down, Stephanie. It's time to meditate. This headband is really nice because it actually has sensors that provide real-time feedback on your brain activity, your heart rate, your breath, and your body movements. And it helps really guide the meditation experience. So we're giving away one of these, one of the quirky keyboards. Go to mission.org giveaway for a chance to win. And good luck. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you are listening to Mission Daily, selected as Best of 2018 by Apple. Mission Daily is the number one podcast for accelerated learning. Hi there, and welcome to Mission Daily. On today's episode, we have Stephen Galanis. Stephen is the CEO and co-founder of Cameo, a marketplace where fans can book personalized video shoutouts from their favorite celebrities or influencers. Cameo was recently named one of the 50 genius companies of 2018 by Time Magazine. In today's episode, Chad and Stephen discuss the founding of Cameo, how the company is changing the way the entertainment industry has traditionally worked, and the importance of founder market fit when choosing your co-founders. Stay tuned for more from Stephen Galanis of Cameo. Steven, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Steven, your background is fascinating. The work you're doing right now is interesting. I'm a big fan of your company, but let's try to dial it back and start all the way at the beginning. So uh, who are you? Where'd you grow up? And uh, yeah, what are the origins? My name is Steven Galanis. I'm the founder and CEO of Cameo. Uh, originally, I'm from Glenview, Illinois. I'm in North Shore, Chicago. Uh, after high school, I went to Duke where I started my first entrepreneurial venture it was called Spartan Entertainment. And in the early days of Facebook, we created a Facebook group that ended up having over 17,000 college students from Duke, UNC, NC State, and Elon. And we started throwing parties online. Uh, so we would uh, create a Facebook event for a different party that would be going on and people would just show up. And uh, you know, my legacy to Duke today is that I created Wednesday night beer pong and shooters, which is probably uh, still the top drinking night at the school. So that's my claim <laughs> to fame. <laughs> uh, I love it. After uh, Duke, I graduated in 2010. Obviously, it was a really rough market uh, for jobs. And uh, probably out of my 40 best friends, maybe two of us had had jobs. Uh, right when we graduated, I came back home to Chicago, uh, ended up getting a job on the floor of the Chicago Board of Trade, uh, where I was an options trader for four or five years. So I was literally one of those guys that was a market maker. If you watch CNBC, you see the guys with the colorful coats doing the hand signals. Uh, that's what I did, and I traded. My very first thing that I traded was soybean oil options and uh, ended up trading a variety of commodity options before eventually settling in the SPX, which is the options on the S&P 500 contract. Um, 
did that for a few years, as I mentioned. And while I was doing that, I had the opportunity to start a film investment fund. Um, and I started producing movies and television shows uh, using money I raised from guys that were standing around me in the pit. Uh, there I met my co-founder, Martin, who I would uh, later start Cameo with. And, uh, and then after uh, trading, I had a stint at LinkedIn for two years, which was probably the formative professional experience of my life. And I was at LinkedIn until um, I could not stop thinking about the idea of Cameo anymore. And, and you know, I put my uh, next play note out there on LinkedIn and dove all in. That is that is awesome. That that's a you summed up a lot all all at once there. Um, can we talk a little bit about your experience on the uh, Chicago options floor and what that was like? And uh, were there any big takeaways or lessons you learned there uh, or mentors that kind of shaped your career early on? Yeah, that was a, that was a really interesting time for me. Um, I remember the very first time I went to the CBOE, the, uh, you know, which is the biggest uh, options pit in the world still is the, the SPX pit at the SIBO. But when I walked into the pit for the first time, it was crazy because there used to be pits on every single uh, individual equity stock that was trading there. So there was an Apple pit and an Amazon pit and all these different ones. But literally, it was like a dinosaur graveyard, right? You have this huge room and and there's these big craters where there used to be thousands of people. I think at the core, there were over 40,000 pit traders in Chicago. But by the time I got into the game, there were only about 2,000 left. Um, and very quickly, the technology was coming into the pits, and it was starting to disrupt people, and people were moving upstairs to trade on the screen versus doing open outcry anymore. And the futures markets had been completely decimated. Those were the largest pits in Chicago. And when that moved to the screen, I mean, like everybody, there was basically nobody down there anymore. I'm talking pits that used to have, you know, hundreds or thousands of people suddenly had maybe four or five. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable to see. And I had a very weird um, goal as a 21 year old. I remember walking in the pit the first time and my dream was to be the last great options trader in Chicago on the floor. And that was a very, very weird dream to to have right because it's like how many other industries are like so obviously in decay that you're like mm-hmm. i want to be the last great anything like you know the next like zion williamson is not going to get drafted in the nba saying i'm going to be the last great basketball player ever right like you know any other and then when i got into tech like i definitely don't think i'm the last great you know founder in chicago or anything like that you know you hope to be one of many to build but the the thing that was so crazy about trading was all the stories were always like man you should have been here in the 80s or you should have seen the 90s or 2000 was crazy or the flash crash was amazing everybody was always talking about like what had been but when i moved to tech it was always about like what could be and for me that was a a really big shift when you started to see those pits empty out did you see the writing on the walls and were you did you start to proactively search for the next thing or uh, what was that search process like that moved you towards, you know, producing movies and then getting into the tech? Uh, to be honest, it was already like far in decline when we got there. But I happen to be very fortunate to be at one of the first firms to bring technology down into the trading pits. So, for example, when I started clerking at the Chicago Board of Trade, every single trader would literally have a printed out sheet with all their option values and they'd be watching the futures prices move and they would be doing the math in their head and then make a market you know a bid asks based on what they saw on a piece of paper 
the firm that I was with was actually one of the first to actually bring handheld computers down there. So the, our computers were moving faster than other people could do the math. We were able to have and make tighter markets and ultimately, you know, win bigger trades. Uh, and, you know, we were doing very well for a while, but uh, one thing that was always tough about that particular industry for me was it was so hierarchical, right? If you had been there, it was all about how long you'd been there and how well you knew these guys and it. I never really believed that the best, you know, people could rise to the top. So much was about get, being given that opportunity. And, you know, I love the guys that I worked for, but our our firm was all friends and friends and family. That's basically how you got hired there. So, you know, you might be sitting behind somebody's brother. You might be sitting behind somebody that somebody else played hockey with that wasn't as good or as smart as you, but you were just kind of like held back based on hierarchy. So for me, when I built Cameo, I never wanted anybody to worry about what your last name was, or I never wanted anyone to worry about where you went to school or how you got there. It was all about like what you did once you got here. Yeah. And I think that type of ethos is really interesting and exciting because you don't hear it as often as you might hope to sometimes these days. Uh, where did that come from? Was that from your parents? Was that from your college experience? Or have you just always been like that? I've always been an entrepreneur, right? Like I think if you talk to anybody that's known me my whole life, like, like I was always, always had a side hustle with no matter what it was. Uh, not many people are surprised. Uh, Mike Gamson, who was number two at LinkedIn and one of our early investors uh, was just in here doing a fireside chat for the team. And somebody asked, you know, what was Steven's reputation like when he was at LinkedIn? He was like, Everybody liked him, but you know he was always, he was always distracted. He always had like you know the next thing he was thinking about, and he's like in an enterprise sales org. We just needed somebody to come in and run the playbook, but you know sure. that's not me. Um, you know, certain people like to be part of winning teams. Like I'm the type of person that you know likes to be a, a big reason why we're winning. And anytime I've ever felt professionally like I wasn't in a position to shape my own destiny. Those have always been the most challenging ones for me. And, and, you know, what I've always done at those cases is try to find some, some place where I can have an impact. Like I don't mind losing as long as like I was the one, you know, that I don't like losing if it's somebody else's fault. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, so when you started raising money and you're thinking about producing movies at this point with people like De Niro and Bruce Willis is do you have the fully, you know, do you have the full idea formed in your head or are you, do you just discover that this is possible? How, how does that come about? How do you even think to start doing that? So my uncle's one of the biggest independent filmmakers in the world. He did Rambo, Conan, Lone Survivor. So in many ways, this was kind oh, wow. of like uh, uh, something that I had a unique um, opportunity to do. Uh, that said, uh, in 2012, the year Lone Survivor came out, I think my uncle had like eight movies go to theaters and that wow. year he uh all the people that were sitting around me in the pit were like steven why are you here why aren't you in la like being a movie producer and my uncle is a trader by trade as well and you know is, is really just a financial uh backer of movies and you know will be kind of the, the ceo of the whole project but he's not a creative type at all and uh you know basically he told me like hey if you I don't think this is a good business, but if you want to raise money, like go ahead and do it, but don't quit your day job essentially. Sure. And uh, so I did what any entrepreneur would do. I was sitting around a lot of people that might be betting 25 or 50 grand on like a game. So it's like, Hey, why don't you come into this project? I'm here. I'm not leaving, but you know, it's going into a good, good place. And you know, we did pretty well. 
That's that's really exciting. So what were can you talk about any of the projects that you uh, raised money and helped produce? Uh, yeah, I probably produced like three of the worst movies ever made and the single worst television show of all time. So uh, nobody look up my MTV. And if you do, I hope nobody ever watches anything that we've made. Those are a lot better stats than the people that aren't in the arena. So it's it's all good. So yeah, let's, can we, you mind talking about them a little bit? Yeah. The, the first one was called safe, uh, SAF three. And, uh, it was actually should have been a good idea, but it wasn't as well executed as we would have hoped. Uh, essentially we partnered with the founder of Baywatch, this guy, Greg Bonin, and we were trying to remake Baywatch in 2012. So in the age of like drones and GoPros and all that type of stuff. And, uh, we filmed it in South Africa and, Everything about it, uh, Dolph Lundgren started it. Uh, everything about the show is a disaster, except for the fact that I met uh, my current co-founder of Cameo, Martin. There you go. So what were some first conversations with Martin like, and when did you know you were going to work together? Uh, so when I had started developing an act for fundraising, my uncle basically was like, hey, there's this guy, Martin, that I think you should meet. Uh, Martin had basically become like my uncle's protege. And my uncle was like, if you're not going to be in L.A., it's really important that you have an L.A. guy like Martin that can be kind of your ears on the ground. So we were in an arranged marriage um, and it's just been a great partnership ever since. Very cool. And there's always wisdom from mentors sometimes that you can't see. Did you see the fit right away or did you, is this like a thing where the relationship just builds slowly over time? Um, how, how did you all find what, you know, what jobs you did best versus what jobs he did best? Um, yeah. How'd you go about building that relationship? Yeah, I think that's a great question. My uncle who brokered us together, uh, has a saying that I've always loved and it's better to have part of something than all of nothing. Right. And, and that is just one of those pieces of business advice that I've like found myself repeating to founders over and over again. Um, you know, Martin and I started cameo 50, 50, uh, partners, and then, Neither of us were technical, so we needed to go and, you know, find uh, a technical person. And Devin uh, Townsend, our, our amazing CTO and co-founder, uh, we recruited him later. And, you know, it was the one thing that I always say today is, like, we had great founder market fit for what we're doing. You hear about product market fit a lot, but founder market fit might even be more important. Um, you know, you think about the team that was creating Cameo. Uh, Martin was a uh, movie producer and NFL agent. Devin, our CTO and head of product, was a uh, Microsoft engineer turned Vine star. And, you know, I'm our marketplace guy and our pricing guy and our, you know, options trader and uh, our, our entrepreneur and our business person. And, you know, it was really in many ways the perfect team to attack this problem. Because if Devin was a bigger Vine star, he'd be too cool for school and he went to build Cameo. If Martin was a bigger NFL agent, you know, this would have been so below him. So, like, we all had good exposure and contacts and, you know, had a right to play in the space. But, you know, together you put the three of us in and I don't think there's a team in the world you could have dreamed up that had the, you know, the same level of access, urgency and uh, skill and desire to make this happen. That's an incredible team. So take me back to the uh, Seattle Seahawks game and what was the uh, evolution of Cameo like and what's the story from the Seahawks game? So the story actually uh, didn't happen at a game, but it actually happened leaving my grandmother's funeral of all places where we had the idea for Cameo. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Martin and I were doing this film production business. It was going pretty well. I then took a job at LinkedIn and got too busy for the film stuff. And Martin 
when we weren't doing that, ended up becoming an NFL agent. Now, Martin's British. He's never played a single down of football. So you could imagine the type of players that he was signing, right? Uh, undrafted free agents, seventh-round draft picks. He ran track at USC, so he had a decent pipeline at USC and UCLA guys. But he wasn't signing, you know, Jared Goff for, like, you know, the, the top players. So anyways, Martin, uh, my grandmother ended up passing away. I hadn't really spoke to Martin in about a year, but he flew in from L.A. for the day for my grandmother's funeral. And as we were having this, uh, you know, that was a great gesture, and I was driving him home from the funeral. And as we were driving him home, he was telling me about a problem he was having as a new NFL agent, namely that he couldn't find endorsement contracts for his, like, long-tail set of NFL players. So not the superstar, but, like, the 15th best defender on the team. And sure. he told me this story about a guy named Cassius Marsh that he was repping. Cash had just gone viral recently for um, having $50,000 worth of Magic the Gathering cards stolen from his car. He literally had like a Gucci bag and was filled with all these cards. Somebody did a uh, smashed his window in at the team facility, probably thought it was cash or jewels. And, you know, to, but to Cassius Marsh, like those cards were more valuable than anything in the world. So he put these tweets out. They ended up going viral. He was like, hey, Seattle, like, all I want is my cards back. I'm not going to press charges. Like, I'm just, I'm just really upset that these are gone. You know, like, I, I just want them back. And it got picked up by Barstool, and it got picked up by Deadspin, and Mike and Mike. It was all over the place. So everybody's talking about how the Seattle Seahawks player wanted, uh, you know, his cards back. But Martin couldn't even get – the company that's Seattle-based that makes Magic the Gathering to become an official sponsor of cash. Like, just to fly him to Vegas for a card show, like, nothing. So at that point, you're like, if you can't get, you get exposure like that for a company and they won't make you a spokesman, like, there's literally no hope. So as we were talking about this problem, you know, we had this larger idea that selfies are the new autograph, right? And when people would see cash, they would come up to him and they'd want to take a picture with them. And Martin pulled out his phone and he showed me this video that he got made for his good buddy, Brandon. Uh, Brandon was currently uh, pretty high up in Nike's marketing department. You know, he's working with people like Michael Jordan and LeBron and Kevin Durant and, you know, the biggest athletes on earth but he loves the Seahawks more than anything. And Brandon uh, received from Martin a 10-second recording from Cassius Marsh, a player on his favorite team, the Seahawks, saying, hey, Brandon, it's Cassius Marsh from the Seahawks. Congratulations on your son, Maverick. If he gets their athletic ability, he'll be playing for the Seahawks one day. Go Hawks. And the thing that was amazing was that Brandon put this thing on Instagram and said it was the best gift he ever got in his life. And for us, that was kind of the aha moment. It's like, okay, if – the, you know, one of the top guys in Nike's marketing department cares about the 15th best Seattle Seahawks defender. Like, how much would an average fan feel if they ever got this? And, you know, that's how the idea for Cameo was born. Very cool. So what were the early days of Cameo like? Was it a lot of, like, obviously a lot of manual work and things like that? So what are some, like, early projects or um, when was the first booking you did uh, through Cameo? So look, in the very early days, I mean, we're building a marketplace business. And just like any other marketplace, you have the, you know, proverbial chicken and the egg problem. Uh, we had, we were creating a marketplace for talent where we had no stars and, you know, the stars were going to come if we could get fans and we had no customers. Uh, we had pretty high conviction that if we attacked the supply side of our marketplace, the supply could in effect beget its own demand. 
So one thing about our talent is that they're all famous. So unlike something like Grubhub or uh, Uber, where like the drivers or the restaurants cannot market themselves, our talent are all like independently famous, right? Like Cassius Marsh has 200,000 followers on Twitter. So whether or not, you know, Chevy or Motorola are trying to like give him an endorsement deal, like he's got a following. And, and we really believe that if these guys came on the platform and kind of tweeted it out, that would enable uh, this whole thing to, to pop. And I'll never forget the day that we actually kind of launched and tried to sell our first cameo. Uh, it was a Tuesday night. It was sometime in March of 2017. Uh, Cassius Marsh, uh, we had that first video that we used to, to have the idea. And we had him tweeted out to his fans saying, hey, for 20 bucks, I'll create a message just like this for anyone you, you want to go to this site. I was in Scottsdale, Arizona, because at that point, like, you know, if we had a lead to get talent on, like I was getting on a plane, I was still working at, um, I don't know if I actually had just uh, left LinkedIn, but I was down in Scottsdale, Arizona, staying with a buddy from my hometown that was uh, playing for the Cleveland Indians at the time. And, uh, and I'll never forget when we went to launch. Um, I was in Scottsdale, and the rest of the guys were in Venice Beach, California, at my co-founder Devin's house, so Cash, Martin, and Devin were there. And Cash sends his tweet out, we go to Google Analytics and there's two dots, one in Scottsdale, one in Venice, and literally nobody else came to the site. And as time started going on, people started tweeting at cash and like making fun of him. How much is this company paying you? Like how, how desperate are you that you need $25, you know, from some fans. And it was like all this real negative feedback and literally like nobody came to the site and we were so dejected. Cash was feeling bad about all the negative publicity. And all of a sudden, he ends up, like, just walking off and, like, leaving. Um, about 20 minutes later, like, we're still trying to figure out, is Google working? Like, maybe it wasn't 20 minutes. It felt like 20 minutes. I remember yeah. at one point, I literally, like, got off the site, and the dot in Scottsdale disappeared. And then I went back on, and it was there. So I was like, nope, site works. Like, Google's not down. It's, like, literally nobody's coming. And, uh, and you know, we were, you know, talking, and Martin's freaking out, and it was, like, this whole big thing. And then I'll never forget this dot popped up in Renton, Washington, and suddenly, like, hands on the table, we're praying, we're so excited, <laughs> and literally, uh, for five minutes, nothing's happening, and, and today, you go to Cameo, and there's, like, 15,000 talent, and all these videos you can view, there's so much to do, but at that point, it was literally, like, a Google form, it was, like, what's your name, what do you want to say, and, like, here's the price, and there was nothing else to it, and the guy's, like, on the page, and all of a sudden the dot just disappears and we were so down and dejected. But uh, about two, three minutes later, I see my DMs and I, I get this guy, this dad DMs me. He's like, Cassius Marsh is my daughter's favorite player in the world. Her birthday is on Thursday. I'd love to get this done. But your payment processor is not working. So at that point, I'm like, okay, don't worry about that. Like, we'll just try to make it. I texted to Martin. Martin's like, Cash is mad at me. Anyways, fast forward. A week goes by. We don't get the video done for the birthday, but it comes like four or five days late. The video is like super unenthusiastic. Cash is like, hey, like happy birthday. Like you could tell he like wanted nothing to do it. We send it to the dad and then 20 minutes later, I get another DM and the dad had filmed his daughter's reaction to it and she literally started crying. And this, this oh, wow. girl has like blue and green hair and She's wearing a Seahawks jersey and like hearing from someone on her favorite team is, is literally the greatest thing that's ever happened to her. And, uh, yeah. and at that moment, that's when we were like, man, we have something here.
So were there any other inflection points uh, like that where you knew not only are we onto something, but we're, we're onto something that could be really, really big? Yeah, I mean, there, there's literally been so many. Um, probably one of the first ones on the talent side. Uh, I did mention Devin, my co-founder, is like this, you know, former Vine star. And uh, at the very beginning, you know, everybody, when you're thinking of this lean startup methodology, it's like, you know, focus on one area first. And like, like we were just trying to create the new autograph for athletes first, so we were not worried about, you know, anybody that wasn't an athlete, essentially. And then one day, like, you know, we'd been at, at this for about six months, hadn't really found any product market fit. And one day, Devin, my co-founder, calls me, he goes, I think Cody, uh, Cody Co, his roommate who has 3 million YouTube followers, and people like Cody would do pretty well in Cameo. We put Cody on and, like, literally uh, the site, like, went crazy. Uh, you know, I think he did, like, $3,400 in bookings, like, right when he got on. And that was, like, a crazy thing the first time he promoted it. Um, you know, another inflection point for us was this guy named Ronnie Radke, who was this uh, – Ronnie Radke was this um, – you know, he still is this, like, this musician – uh, and he was the first one to, to use like an Instagram swipe up. And I remember he promoted and overnight we, he had like 200 bookings and that's probably more bookings than the site had done in its whole history up to then. So then oh, we wow. had a good playbook for like how people could get the word out. Um, as far as talent, when we got Brett Favre on the platform, that was a huge inflection point for us. Like someone with his heft and his celebrity status and, you know, just like a true American icon being on the platform like there's very few people in, in America that could say that they're like more famous than Brett Favre or have more credibility. So when he got on, that was cool. And then recently for us, like when Snoop Dogg joined, uh, you know, that was, that was an absolute huge one. Um, I remember Snoop, you know, when I talked to him on the phone, uh, you know, he's like, man, this is, he's like, this is so fun. He's like, he's like, let's billionize this. You know, that's what he's <laughs> you know, like one thing Snoop said, he's like, look, uh, the only question right now is like, is Cameo cool as talent? But he's like, I'm cool when Snoop Dogg's on, that makes Cameo cool. And like, you know, let's go. And, and, you know, that was a really big point for us. Yeah. That's incredible. Do you find that you're able to, uh, you know, work well with agents? What's, what's your response been like from agents? I'm so curious about this because some agents, you know, this is a godsend for them because they're able to help their clients make money or their clients can, you know, make money and support themselves. I'd imagine other agents though, there's a little bit of pushback or something like that. Um, what's, what's the the situation there? In the early days, we, you know, we went to try to work with all the agencies. You know, I went to CAA, I went to WME, you know, we mostly got, we were told, wow, that's brilliant. Like we should, we're going to get all our people on it. And then, you know, basically get laughed out the, out the room and, you know, nobody ever really followed through with us, followed back. Um, we have not grown because the agents have embraced it. Like, you know, there's some people out there that, that have been helpful. Um, we've, we've really just built such a great talent experience that the talent loves it so much that they get on, they love it. Their fans are like demanding people who aren't on at this point, their fans are tweeting at them all the time to get on the platform. And more importantly, like we have 15,000 talent at this point. So, you know, we have more talent than any agency on earth at this point. And, you know, I don't call us an agency. Like we're, we're definitely not, but the thing right. that's fun is that we built such a great talent experience that you know, the talent just tells their friends to join. Like Snoop Dogg joined because Ice-T thought it was amazing and, 
Snoop size tea making them. And it's like, what is that? And, and, you know, that's how it's getting around. So it's really spreading, you know, virally now either directly from our outreach directly to talent or through talent to talent referrals. Yeah. And what are some talent uh, success stories or what is an example of a talent that comes on the platform and then sends you a personalized message? Like when you do get message from talent, um, what, what are they saying? What, what are their thoughts on the platform? I mean, I've had so many uh, incredible ones, but I actually had a talent this year. It's pretty, pretty well known, um, you know, comedian that, you know, actually called me up one day and was like, Steven, you know, you, if it wasn't for Cameo, I would have killed myself this year. He's like, you know, this is a guy that had a, a hit show a while ago, but, you know, so super famous, but he goes like, you literally gave me my fans back. You know, he's like, I haven't, you know, I get to be the director and I get to be the, uh, you know, the producer and I get to be the cameraman and the makeup artist and the costumes. But he's like, you've given me this opportunity to like create the best content of my life. And I want to thank you for that. So when you hear stuff like that, it's, you know, it's pretty chilling. That's really, really cool. And I would imagine too, that a lot of the talent on the platform, they love this because they're uncensored, right? Because they, they come from a world where every word they say is scripted by someone else or it's uh, cut out in post-production. So this allows a way for them to give back to a paying customer who's also a super fan in an uncensored way. Um, do you find that to be the case or is that uh, not, not a fair characterization of it? No, the authenticity is you know, absolutely huge, right? And yeah. the, the talent that's on the platform, right? Number one, they've opted in to do this. So if they weren't the type of person that wanted to do it, they just wouldn't be on the platform. They would say right. no, which is totally fine to do, right? But on the flip side, they also realize that the person on the other end of it might be one of their biggest fans on earth. And our unique value prop at this point is that talent is getting paid to become more popular, right? Like, it's a pretty amazing thing. Like, Norm McDonald's one of my favorite comedians like of my childhood. And honestly, like I hadn't heard about him in a while. And recently, like one of my friends got a Norm McDonald cameo to roast another one of our friends. And like, ever <laughs> since I saw that, I've been like thinking about him all the time. And it, you know, it's just, he, like, it actually like kind of brought him back for me, which is great. And, you know, Michael Rappaport's another one that's, uh, that's done that where their cameos are so good that they're creating new fans because what happens is I buy you a cameo you know, you share it on Instagram, you're posting it, all your friends are like, how did you get that? And then, but they're also watching that content and being like, wow, that's amazing that he did that. Very cool. So I'd imagine when you're learning or if you have a learning routine, you're consuming a whole bunch of different information sources. So how do you think about building your learning routine for your personal life and for the company? Are you reading books? Is it podcasts? Is it uh, online content? Uh, what's that look like if you have time for it? I mean, I'm a book a week person. Uh, I travel a lot. So uh, one of my like productivity hacks is that I will only sleep or read on an airplane. I never get Wi-Fi on planes. And I, you know, being in Chicago, um, I'm constantly traveling to LA, to the Valley, to New York. Um, you know, we have an, a London an office, uh, an office in London and in Melbourne, Australia now. So, you know, I've got some big trips, but it's, you know, I'm always reading if I'm awake on a plane. Um, I send that book out to my entire team. I send a Sunday night email and I have a book of the week that I do. And what I'll often do, if it's worthwhile, I will buy it for the entire team. So you'll be in our LA office or in our Chicago office. And yeah, there's big stacks of, you know, books like Blitzscaling is one that, you know, I might know my team, um, you know, just 
just really, really enjoyed. And, uh, you know, I try to, to scale the knowledge that I'm getting with my team to the best of my ability. Uh, I bring in speakers all the time. So in the last two weeks, we've had uh, Mike Gamson, who I mentioned was number two on LinkedIn and probably the best angel investor in Chicago in here. Uh, the week before, we had Brian Spaley, who's the founder of Bonobos and Trunk Club. And, you know, I'm always trying to bring, like, really amazing speakers in to, to Cameo to expose people to that. Um, at Cameo, we're, we're huge on the concept of growth mindset. Um, I tell my team all the time, like, you're not going to have, you know, five months from now, uh, five years from now, you're not going to be doing the same job that you're doing today. So it's super important that you're learning skills and this company is growing so fast that we need you constantly to, to, you know, have new skill sets because there's whole departments here that don't exist yet. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, there's only seven people that work at Cameo right now that have been here over a year. There were 17 people here on New Year's Day, and now we have over 100. So, you know, you can, That's fast. You can imagine when you're growing that fast, people need to grow up quickly. Definitely. Um, so in that type of hyper growth that you're entering or you're in right now, um, what's what's most pressing? What are you most uh, worried about? Do you not get worried? And then what are you most excited about? The two most important things I think really have to do with uh, talent and culture. Uh, people are always your most important resource, you know, uh, your salaries are always the most expensive line item on a balance sheet, or at least should be in most cases, uh, you win or lose because of the people that you bring in. Um, you know, one thing about talent and especially hyper growth is there's just these certain points where like everything breaks down. And, you know, for us, we found 40 to be one of those really 10 was a challenge and then getting to about 40 was a challenge. A hundred is presenting, you know, an entirely new challenge where, you know, suddenly like we need things like HR, we need things like finance, which we've been able to, to kind of go without for a while. Um, one thing that I think is super important is like culture is not a static thing and it doesn't come top down. Culture is something that is changing every time you hire somebody, literally every single you hire Every time you hire someone, the company gets better or the company gets worse in culture because within that little pod of eight people that that person might be working with, if you're bringing somebody in that's you know, negative or they're you know, not a culture fit or they're distracting people from their work, you're actually like bringing down the total output of everybody. Harvard released a study recently that said that if you sit within 20 feet of a uh, A-plus player, everybody's productivity increases by 15%. But if you wow. sit within 20 20- 20 feet of a B player, everybody around them's uh, uh, productivity goes down by 30%. That's wild. Literally, like like a, a mediocre person is more costly to everybody else's productivity than an A-plus player is good, right? So one of the things that, you know, when you're growing really quickly, you still have to make sure that everybody's getting enough TLC that we can develop and we can also, like, evaluate to make sure that, that they're the right fits. Cause at a company like Cameo, we have you know, hundreds of people applying for every single job that's open and it is so costly to not have somebody world-class in every single seat. And, you know, my job as CEO is to make sure that we're getting better every single day. And that our team understands that like, as we're growing, you know, I want to be the worst person that works for the company. I want to make sure that at every single position, like we've hired somebody better than me. Yeah, that's uh, inspiring. And it's also, uh, it's a bit terrifying, though, to consider that prospect of making those jumps from 10 to 40 and 40 to 100. Um, Are there any other strategies or tips you can share for founders who are looking to make the leap from, say, 10 to 40 uh, employees? Yeah, I mean, the the biggest thing is, you know, really take 
really enjoy that opportunity when your company is like 10 to 40 to get to know everybody personally, because ultimately like those first, you know, they, they say like the first 50 people are going to hire the, the next 500, right? It's like, it's actually like that important. And if you have built like rock solid stewards of your culture, like at Cameo, we have a couple of like really early examples. Uh, Abby Shepard, who started as my intern and was, you know, I guess essentially the second or third employee at Cameo. You know, today she's 22 years old. She's running our London operation. And, you know, she didn't even, she's not even a college graduate. She dropped out because we needed her so much and she was doing a great job. But like, you know, she, like I spent so much time molding her that, you know, I trust her as if I trust one of my founders, right? And um, I think developing that trust with your really early employees, Kara Leahy is another one in Chicago that, um, you know, was the first person doing the talent relations role. She recently, we promoted her to, to manager. So now she's got a, a team of eight people that was doing what she was doing. And she really wrote the playbook for that, but, you know, in crafting those people, like I don't interview the people now that Kara or Abby hire, but by the fact that I, I spend so much time with them, they know what we need and they know what, you know, what Camden needs to be successful, that I, I have high conviction they're going to hire great people. And, and more importantly, if, if there's people that aren't good culture fits or they're not, you know, running our playbook, then like I trust them to say we shouldn't have them working here anymore. Sure. And when it comes to professional development or learning, are there any areas that you're focused on right now where you're trying to, uh, you know, enter as a new student? Is it machine learning? Is it, uh, you know, is it social networking or, you know, what area are you trying to learn about right now so you can prepare for Cameo's future? Everything that I'm really uh, thinking about right now has to do with leadership development and, uh, you know, really trying to be the best coach that I can possibly be. Like that's, that's really what's top of mind. You know, as CEO, you, especially when you get to like about a hundred employees, like you are really focused on probably three to maybe four things. Like number one, uh, setting the vision and the mission, number two, hiring, firing, and, you know, retaining and training your top talent. Number three, kind of being a public face. So like media PR, but for some CEOs, that's not their thing for mine. You know, I've been, I've been that public, public face and then for making sure the lights stay on right so uh, fundraising and making sure you don't run out of money but like all of the day-to-day things that are core to the operations of the business like I don't really do anymore right I'm not talking to talent very often at this point I'm not fulfilling cameos I'm not you know or, or calling the talent to get their cameos done I'm not customer service every non-technical job at the company is something that I personally did myself. But now, you know, as we've scaled, I've been able to fire myself from some of those roles and, and hire other people better than me to go do them. And, you know, that's, that's always a really exciting you know phase for the business. Any tips for founders who are looking to fire themselves quicker or um, let go of some of the past roles that maybe they, uh, you know, cherished? Because a lot of these roles are things that like built the business and sometimes they're hard to let go of. Um, you know, but they, they take up so much time. Uh, any stories you can share about how you let go of some old tasks to embrace the new? Yeah, look, I mean, I, until about a year ago, I was, if you called the customer service line on Instagram or on the email, it went to my cell phone, right? So like every <laughs> single number that was an area code that I didn't know, like I'd pick it up and it was a customer on the other end. And, you know, then I was, but it, it got to the point where like, I really took a lot of pride in doing that. 
but then I realized it's like we had this whole other, you know, like this, this whole other like customer service channel going. And like, if I was doing something one off, it was actually like making it less likely that the customer was going to have a great experience. Um, right. I know another one, like my co-founder Devin, you know, has a really, uh, he's just a, a genius when it comes to branding and, and voice and everything like that. And sometimes we'll see a tweet or we'll see an Instagram post that comes up from us. And it's like, it's like almost like a cringe. It's like not, you know, not us or not the type of thing that we, we would do. But like, you know, he's also CTO and he's running like a 40 person tech org. Like he shouldn't be micromanaging every tweet. So, right. you know, as founders, like, again, you just hope that you've, you've got a really solid uh, perspective and a, a very solid like vision, uh, vision and, and everybody really understands what you're doing there. And then, you know, hopefully you've hired great people and you just let them do their job. Yeah. And when it comes to either building your board or, you know, future investors, how are you thinking about building those relationships? And uh, if you don't mind sharing, what's your board look like now? Uh, my board is uh, my, me, my two co-founders, uh, Nicole Quinn from Lightspeed. And then uh, Ezra Goldstein, who uh, runs a firm called Starting Line in Chicago. Um, you know, we have some observers as well that, you know, have been uh, amazing. Brent Hill from Origin and, you know, Rob Chesney from Chicago Ventures, who, you know, I really look at as, you know, just like so foundational to what we're doing. And for us, like, look, we always try to find people that are, it starts with like, are you passionate about our mission and our vision and what, what we're trying to do? Uh, if I ever talk to an investor and, and I ask them, like, have you used the product? And they say, no, like, that's probably not the right fit for us. Uh, I, you know, I remember when Jeremy Liu uh, from Lightspeed first found out about Cameo, you know, he had so much conviction. He saw one at a party and sent me an email and he's like, you know, we need to have breakfast tomorrow. And as I started to explain this vision to him, he's like, I'm not you're not pitching me. I'm pitching you. He's like, <laughs> I've been looking for a company like this for 10 years. <laughs> like, I get it. You know? yeah. And that was the guy that first put the first, you know, check into Snapchat. Right. So, um, we've been very fortunate where all of our, all of our funding has come in down. We've actually never made a pitch deck. Um, you know, we, all we focus on is just building a great customer experience and, you know, having a product that really delights people. And then I think the fundraising stuff takes care of itself. I mean, it's not the same for every company. Like Candia has a lot of viral advantages that most tech companies can only dream of, but you know, we try to play those to our strength and we try to stay true to ourselves. Very cool. And when it comes to life outside work, are you able to make any time to unplug? If so, what are you doing? Are you, uh, are you going out? Are you mountain biking? Are you reading? Are you going to movies? What are you, what are you up to? I'm pretty boring now outside of work. Like, you know, it's, it's all cameo for me at this point. Um, you know, I'm 31. So right in the middle of the last couple of years, it's been wedding season. So if I'm not in Chicago, I'm on a plane at some wedding somewhere. Uh, I'm actually going to Mykonos next week. I'm best man at a wedding in Greece, uh, for another entrepreneur here in Chicago. And, you know, I try to keep it pretty chill. Like if I'm anywhere, I'm probably cheering on my Duke blue devils or, you know, my, Bulls, Blackhawks, Cubs, or Bears, uh, you know, somewhere. But, you know, I'm pretty boring outside of work at this point. Very cool. Yeah, the boring boring folks uh, tend to get a lot accomplished, so I, I like it. Um, what else are you up to at Cameo right now that you can share with us that is there anything coming down the pike or are there any new features or offerings that you can uh, share with us? 
biggest thing is we've just been really expanding the talent base tremendously. Um, we're really looking to scale out our, our West Coast office. So we've got an office in Venice that we opened February 1st. Um, we've got 25 people there now, and you know we'll probably double that by the end of the year. So we've been hiring really aggressively. Uh, we actually made some uh, headlines this weekend. Uh, Devin, our CTO, uh, had a plane fly over uh, Facebook headquarters, and there's a big banner, and it said, tell Mark you quit, and, uh, <laughs> and you know, com slash jobs, and, you know, that went viral, so we, hopefully we get some good engineers out of that, but, you know, <laughs> like, we like doing fun stuff like that. That's that's what we're all about. That's a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, it takes me back to the, uh, you know, back in the day with Salesforce and Oracle going uh, back and forth with each other. And um, do you feel like tech has uh, lost a lot of that kind of like playfulness or the kind of like willingness to, uh, you know, do a move like that in public? Is, is that missing from our industry now? I think like just in general, the world has gotten a lot more politically correct. And I think that a lot of stuff like, at Cameo, make it fun is literally a value. So, like, we are always going to be that kind of snarky, irreverent type of person. But I do think, like, you know, look, it's 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 a really interesting time to be running a business. You know, that line between, you know, having a real fun, like, you know, run through walls culture and becoming Uber in 2017, like, yeah, that's, that's a, as a founder, you know, you're always kind of like monitoring, monitoring that line and making sure that, you know, you're, you're still fun, but you're not crossing it or you're not, you know, you're not fostering an environment or like me too, or any of that type of stuff is going to happen. Right. So, you know, from my perspective, that's why people are the most important thing, right? Like you like to have smart people that, you know, work hard, that those are the types of people. Yeah that I think Jeff Wiener had uh, from LinkedIn had this like Venn diagram with three circles and, and it talked about, he liked people in the middle of those three things. And yeah, you know, I'm very much the same. Like I'm, you know, I'm fun. The people that work here are fun. You know, we can't hide that, that part of us, but we also have to make sure that we're doing it in a professional way where we're getting things done. Very cool. And Steven, thanks for being generous with your time. This has been an awesome interview. If you were to leave our listeners with uh, one thing, one call to action or one challenge, what would it be? I have a couple of different ones and I'll, I'll target it from for different segments. Sure. The first is for like the entrepreneur that's like sure. sitting at their current job somewhere thinking like, should I go and, and join this, you know, start this company? Uh, I mentor a lot of early stage entrepreneurs now in Chicago and in the Midwest and uh, the first thing I always ask is if they've quit their job yet. And look, if they haven't had conviction you know, like quit their job and go all in. And I don't really care like what family obligations you have. It's not going to be easy. Like, you know, no matter, you know, if you're single or if you have a family, like whatever, it's always yeah. hard. It's always going to be a lot of sacrifice and long hours. And, but, you know, I always tell people, if you don't have enough conviction to, to quit your job and to bet on yourself, why would any investor bet on you? And more importantly, why would anybody quit their job to come work for you if you don't believe enough to do it for them? Yeah. So I do think that that's something that's like incredibly important to think about. Um, you know, the other side too, I, I recently heard Jeff Bezos uh, speak in Las Vegas and he was talking about entrepreneurship. He's using a baseball analogy. And he said in baseball, you know, when you swing through the fences, like the worst thing that happens is you strike out, you get one out. The best thing that can happen is you get four runs. He said in entrepreneurship, like 
unlike baseball, the upside, the, the downside is still capped, right? Like you can lose your time, you could lose, you know, your reputation, whatever. But like the upside is uncapped. Instead of the, the max score being four, like that max score can be four billion. You know, like, right. like literally it's unlimited upside. So I, I thought that was a really, uh, a really interesting uh, thing to you. You know, the other thing to you that I'll mention is like, you always, uh, when it comes to like hiring and, and firing, you know, you, you, you just always, I've not been in a position where like, unfortunately, like I've had to fire like a number of people and almost in no situation, I can't think of a single situation where like the next day you're like, man, I wish I didn't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're like having that thought that like someone isn't working out, like go and make that decision before it becomes something that's like occupying your mind every single day. Uh, so that's the other thing I'd add. Wise words. Steven, thank you so much. Be sure to go check out Cameo and uh, thanks for listening. Mission.org is a media company with a daily newsletter, network of podcasts, and brand studio designed to accelerate learning. Head to mission.org to get award-winning podcasts like The Mission Daily, The Story, IT Visionaries, Education Trends, Marketing Trends, Future of Cities, and more. Mission Studios has worked with companies like Salesforce, Twilio, and Katera to create custom media channels that drive results. Make sure to subscribe to the Mission's daily newsletter at mission.org. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.